welcome to Lighting the Pipes with Bowman and the BFG, a literary exploration of the world of Sherlock Holmes and the works of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Welcome to episode 22 of Lighting the Pipes with Bowman and the BFG. Yes, this is it. It is our grand finale. It's time to rank. After 20, 21 months of reading and exploration, Josh and Scott are ready to bring to you their flair, their favorites, and their fashion of the Sherlock Holmes canon. How are you doing, Josh? That is a, a deeper question than I imagine it to be. But <laughs> now that the orange juice that I spilled on my keyboard seems to be cleaned up and is no longer triggering any windows at the present moment to open up um, you know, spontaneously on my keyboard, I would say that... Um, Oh boy, this computer issue is very stifling when it comes to rapport for these uh, for these things. Um, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, it's been a kind of a uh, kind of a crappy week in terms of hashtag apartment life. Uh, mm. Just things go, going on, and I have to deal with. But uh, let's put that, I'm just going to put that beside me right now. I wouldn't have really been bothered by it if, if it wasn't for this uh, impromptu orange juice spill on my keyboard this morning. Um, I will tell you that I'm glad I kind of got pulp though because. Uh, with pulp, at least you have less water in your uh, in your spill. Well, you know what they say: when life hands you oranges, put orange juice mm. all over your keyboard. Ah, uh, yes. Maybe See, lemonade because lemonade would have been more watery, and therefore it probably would have been even worse. I'm not sure if it would have been really. Mm. Anyway, doesn't matter the sugar content that you're struggling with there. But look, this show is bigger than that, isn't it? You yes, and it I is are much, bigger than that. Much, much, much bigger. What That's was right. that piece of music that you had in the, uh, the on this solemn occasion? Pardon me? What was that music we were listening to? Yes. That, my good man, after our title music, was a suite from a film called Giant. And that score was written by Dmitry Tiomkin. Giant, that's a James Dean movie? Mm. Very good. Indeed. So look, pal, this is us going to wrap up lighting the pipes. It's been a long time. It's been fun. It's been tough. Some of these stories have tested us, I think, uh, our patience and our intelligence, maybe. I don't know. Possibly. The Creeping Man, uh, don't know. The, the Creeping Man is definitely up there, and I think there's been some challenges, yes, some adventures, one might say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're going to rattle through and um, reach the apex here today of this incredible 
this incredible project that we've been working on for so long. Um, I guess you could say we'll reach the summit of Mount Sherlockia. Yeah, or the or the fall or the or the summit of or or the the falls of Reichenbach. Well, I'd I'd like not to go out that way. Well, we're not going to fall. That's the difference. Okay, fair enough. Well, yeah, so what, what are we going to do here? Well, we have taken our index rankings based on our PIPES acronym that we've been scoring on all these stories since the beginning. And we have now our ranking of the top 56 short stories. And we've also ranked, according to index, our four novels. And we're going to talk about novels and short stories separately. And we have then decided, instead of talking about you know, what we had as number 55 as opposed to number 29. What we've decided to do is something that was kind of similar to what Conan Doyle himself did in 1927. I think it was 27, maybe, yeah, 27, when he held, um, through the Strand Magazine, a contest um, asking his fans, his readers, to um, do a little ranking. Uh, instead of ranking all the stories, he asked, I think, for like their 12 favorite or something like that. And um, we're, we're going to do 25 favorites. But instead of going through them one by one by one, we're going to go through them in tiers. You want to say something about that, Josh? Well, I picked mine. You picked yours. and uh, Yeah, but about the tiers. Well, the, the tiers are going to be what I, what I have chosen. Um, and I think you have chosen as well, you know, because you know, we've been communi communicating on this. Um, I have my worst, I have my fourth best, third best, second best, and head of the class. That's right. And when you say worst, you mean your worst of your chosen 25. Worst of the chosen 25, yeah. It's not really a worst. Worst it's of the best. Like, it's actually bottom five, if you think about it. Yeah, your, your bottom five grouping, yeah. Because we, we thought that it's a little disingenuous to try to rank each of these 25 stories that we selected. But if you were to look at a Josh or a Scott volume, you know, a collected volume of Sherlock Holmes. If we were editors based on our own likings and our own druthers, um, volume one would be our favorites, volume two would be our next favorites, so on and so forth, until we got True. to volume five, which would be the good stories that we've selected, um, but maybe just not those top ones. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. being the fact that these are like, this is a, it, it's not really a serial per se. There's a lot of the, a lot of it you could say, I guess, in modern television terms, it's very episodic as well, with some connections. Uh, it makes it very easy to uh, do a list like this because mm -hmm. each one stands on their own. Yeah, absolutely. And we've also created a few fun category rankings too. We're going to look at uh, our top five favorite perpetrators, uh, our five lamest perpetrators um the worst stories you know the ones that we really didn't like we're, we're gonna look at five of those or at least we're gonna name them uh yeah. we're gonna talk about our favorite clients we're gonna talk about our favorite locations we're yeah. gonna talk about our favorite Best. Holmes and watson moments yeah top five Holmes moments top five watson moments yeah so first of I'm all sure. though josh I would like mm -hmm. to contextualize this uh, episode a little bit, maybe by uh, sharing with you something from Lysit's biography on Conan Doyle, which we've referenced here in the show before. And this is an explanation of that um, that competition, so to speak, uh, which was part of a valedictory piece that he wrote for Holmes in the Strand magazine. This is Doyle back in March of 27. Patting himself on the back. <laughs> in, in March of 
In March of 1927, the month before Shoscombe Old Place ran, Arthur wrote a valedictory piece in The Strand which confirmed the whimsical nature of the project that he had started 40 years earlier in A Study in Scarlet, as he likened uh, its aim to the distraction and stim stimulation, quote, which can only be found in the fairy kingdom of romance, end quote. To celebrate its completion, he invited his readers to enter a competition where they had to match their choice of the 12 best home stories against his selection, which was headed by the Speckled Band, followed by the Red-Headed League and the Dancing Men. Once Shoscombe Old Place had appeared, all of his recent stories could be collected in the casebook of Sherlock Holmes, published by John Murray on the 16th of June in an edition of 15,150 copies, and the largest since The Hound of the Baskervilles. Now, this competition... Um, the winners, or those who predicted the list closest to Doyle's own, would receive signed copies of a recent autobiography, I believe it was. Um, I'll need to find out what that is. I should have had that written down, but I didn't. But one of his recent books, and that is that. So what we decided to do is kind of jump on that trend, but work with 25, because we want to stretch it out a little bit more for the enthusiast, I guess. Because now that this series is over, I think... Um, we would be doing ourselves an injustice if we only looked at, you know, a small morsel of what's out there. But yeah, I, 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 could, I couldn't put it any better than that. Well then, um, with that aside, and perhaps as a final point of introduction before we start our, uh, our discussions about, you know, characters and stories, I thought maybe I would play something um, that you might not have heard before. It certainly isn't rare in the sense that you can't find it online because you can, but just two months before his death in 1930, Conan Doyle was recorded um, in an interview explaining his inspiration for Holmes and his, um, you know, his belief in and devotion to spiritualism. But I thought maybe I'd just play you a couple of moments of what Conan Doyle says about Holmes and where he got that character from and all of that so that we can hear the creator's own voice, so to speak, if, uh, if that's something you would be interested in listening to. So here you go, Conan Doyle in his own words, 1930, just a couple months before his death. There are two questions which my friends continually ask me. One is how I came to write Sherlock Holmes, and the other is why I became a spiritualist, and about spiritualism generally. With regard to Sherlock Holmes, I was, when I wrote it, a young doctor, and had been educated in a very severe and critical medical school of thought, especially coming under the influence of Dr. Bell of Edinburgh, who had most remarkable powers of observation. He prided himself that when he looked at a patient, he could tell not only their disease, but very often their occupation and place of residence. Reading some detective stories, I was struck by the fact that their results were obtained in nearly every case by chance. I accept, of course, Edgar Allan Poe's splendid stories, which, though only three in number, are a model for all time. I thought I would try my hand at writing a story where the hero would treat crime as Dr. Bell treated disease, and where science would take the place of chance. The result was Sherlock Holmes, and I confess that result has surprised me very much. For I learn that many schools 
of detection, working in France, in Egypt, in China, and elsewhere, have admittedly founded their system upon that of Holmes. To many, he seems to be a real person, and I have had numerous letters from time to time addressed to him from all parts of the world, and the most quaint requests, including what was virtually an offer of marriage. His autograph also is much in demand. Well, fandom doesn't change much, does it? No, it doesn't, does it? <laughs> um, it was great to hear his voice. Uh, yeah, I thought so too. It, like, I, I, I knew that he was Scottish, so, you know, I got the brogue a little bit, but he also sounded very refined. There's a bit of a kind of, I think there was a bit of a London accent, like a, like a Southern England accent in there a bit. And it was just, it was a very interesting accent. I, it is, it's not how I expected to hear what he sounded like. It's not what I expected uh, to me on, 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 what, on what he would sound like. Well, the Edinburgh, the Edinburgh accent tends to be a little little more posh if, if i can say that yeah it's like an, yeah exactly it's like a posh scottish accent so but that he has i mean sense. as he, he wanted to become the esteemed man of english letters and he did spend an awful lot of time uh you know traveling and living in and amongst so it's not surprising that his, his voice may be a little bit like that but i i still hear that as very scottish yeah, uh, yeah. You, it's, what I think it comes down to is that you can hear the refinement of English culture there. You can, not to say Scottish culture isn't refined, but you know Scottish compared to English culture and, and how they conduct themselves and and the mannerisms and stuff like that. You well, can you're talking that about the upper class here, anyway. Exactly. You can see that he's definitely of the upper class. It's a posture accent. Um, he's, uh, but, you hear, but but that but you know that old Scots roots are there. You know the brogue is there. His, uh, I guess, what, what what can I say? His origins are apparent, you know, in yeah. in in the, in, the, in the way that he speaks. It's it's deep down, you know, like and, and well, there's a connect there. There's a connection to it. You know what I mean? But, um, before we before we spend too much time talking about his brogue, um, I thought it was interesting that he tipped his hat to Poe because we talked about Poe as well, haven't we? Here on the show, we have. Yes, absolutely. Uh, especially like in regard to the engineer's thumb mm -hmm. and and whatnot, and and just the idea of you know of, of the short stories that Poe wrote uh, involving detectives, mm -hmm. and I can definitely see that being an influence on um, Conan Doyle for sure. One thing I want to point out about uh, the voice of Arthur Conan Doyle: what character in Sherlock Holmes do you hear when Arthur Conan Doyle speaks? What character? I, yeah, I hear John Watson. Do you? I hear that that's the voice of John Watson to me. Really? When you're when you're reading, that's the narrative voice that you, you capture. That's that to me is yeah, that's the ideal Watson in my opinion. Yeah. It's like that it's that kind of like a bit a bit, a bit of roughness because he was a soldier, you know, in his own way. And uh, it's a bit of roughness, but also you can also tell he's a man of letters, you know, and and he's seen things and been around the world. I don't know, I just found that like it, it makes sense that he is that Watson is kind of like his mouthpiece in the stories. Well, of course it does. Yeah, I mean we we've spoken about that on many different occasions. But I don't I don't know. I, I never really thought of it that that would be. I I don't think of that as Watson's voice when I'm reading and listening or you know hearing between the lines, if you will. But I can totally see it. Yeah, you that's know, cool. But I, I don't get uh, Doyle's own voice with Watson. I don't know. It's something something else. I'm not sure why. I don't know if the Granada series has informed my listening and reading. <laughs> Or, or you know, if if the the text, but no, I, I don't think so. I think yeah. the text well, and narrative voice is a bit different. 
Yeah, well, he doesn't sound like Martin Freeman, that's for sure. Uh, no, he does not. <laughs> anyway, look, we've got a good intro done, context established, a little bit of Conan Doyle there to shake it up and to explain the connection to Bell and where Holmes came from. There, I mean, that, that clip goes on for another six minutes or so where he talks about spiritualism, which is itself kind of interesting as he tries to ground his belief uh, in, Real- in, the, in the afterlife and seances and things like that. Um, but he does so by issuing a word to everyone that to believe or to to uh, commit oneself to certain tenets of spiritualism does not necessarily mean that you need to exclude your own religious belief and it's quite an interesting uh, quite an interesting comment you know from a yeah. rather fundamental time fundamentalist it's, time yeah it's like people who are born catholic nowadays or you know protestant or what have you and you know they can they can easily say yeah i was born a catholic or i was born a muslim but you know what i can religiously identify as a Je- as a jedi if i want to so i will <laughs> you shouldn't but <laughs> apparently there was a survey a couple of years ago where people it was in england i believe actually where people um were asked to you know, choose their it was a census it was a census done on you know what religion and people, there was enough people there to mention Jedi. Apparently, that Jedi was like considered official religion or something like that. Jesus, right? Whatever. I really don't want to waste our airwaves with that. So, <laughs> no. But it just. And I'm a star. Uh, you know, I like I like Star Wars, of course. You know, whatever. But uh, that's fandom. That's fandom for you. And you can. That's you can look, going back to what I was talking yep, about. Yeah, exactly. Coming right fandom. back to it. Anyway. <laughs> And we will have to touch on fandom at some point because the legacy, I mean, after all, what we're doing, we're such a small part of an enormous canonical uh, figure and legacy, right? Yes, absolutely. And we're talking about fandom. You know, you were mentioning to me at one point about how all these fans had these armbands. Well, uh, that's you know, an apocryphal these, story. Yeah, the black the black armbands, you know, to mourn Sherlock Holmes' death, you know. And I, and I pointed out to you that uh, there was probably more black Sherlock Holmes armbands than there was red Nazi armbands for brown shirts back yeah. in the 1920s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Late 20s. Well, early 30s. I don't know. Oh, of course. Uh, yes. Because, yeah. When, when did Holmes die? Right. Uh, but it, like I said, it's an apocryphal story. So it's, It is apocryphal, but you can take what you want from it. Of course. Now, we have all these things ranked here. Yep. Here's my question. Of all the yep. rankings that you did, yep. what was the number, what was the highest ranked story in, in like in terms of the pipes rankings? Okay. Well, why don't, why don't I just do that? Why don't I give everybody, uh, including ourselves, a quick rundown of our highest ranked stories according to our principles, investigation, perpetrator, environment, and secondary characters. Um, do you want the top 10 or do you want the bottom 10? Let's do the bottom ten, just to kind of make just to kind of make things interesting. Right. Well, the bottom stories for me, starting from numbers fifty-six and working up to forty-six or forty-seven, the Mazarin Stone, my very least. Three students just above that. Lion's <laughs> Mane above that. Lady Carfax above that. Wisteria Lodge, the Veiled Lodger, Stockbroker's Clerk. The Speckled Band, index-wise, this is index. The Speckled Band, only at 15.5, which is Doyle's favorite. A Case of Identity at 16. The Naval Treaty at 16. And The Dancing Men at 16. That's my list of bottom 10. Your list of bottom 10, according to our uh, statistical index, is 
Starting with 56, the, at the absolute bottom, the Creeping Man with 12, the Veiled Lodger, the Mazarin Stone, the Red Circle, Wisteria Lodge, A Case of Identity, the Blanched Soldier, Lady Carfax, Bruce Partington Plans, The Final Problem, and The Three Gables. Oh, yes, The Three Gables. Yeah, so those are our bottoms according to our index and according to our tops. If we go top 10, for me, uh, starting at number 10, 20.5, I had a four-way tie there. Uh, Dying Detective, Six Napoleons, Silver Blaze, Red-Headed League. Then going up to 21 with the Priory School, Greek Interpreter, Illustrious Client, Devil's Foot. 21.5 for the Abbey Grange. 22 at number one was the Copper Beaches, according to my index. And for you, Josh, number 10, Engineer's Thumb. Number nine, Sussex Vampire. Then the Illustrious Client, the Five Orange Pips, Six Napoleons, Devil's Foot, Greek Interpreter, Abbey Grange, Thor Bridge, Copper Beaches. So some interesting differences there in our yes. official episode index ranking. Yeah, we want to stress that this is based on the numerical scoring that we've done. That's right. And what this will be really interesting is when we discuss our 25, and then you know, we do our tiers of five of those uh, based on the categories that we discussed about bottom, fourth best, third best, yeah. second best, uh, yeah. you know, head of the class. Um, it's, I think there's going to be a, a lot of ver uh, variation there for sure. Yeah, well, I was really surprised. Uh, as a tease, I suppose I'll just say that much, that there are several stories in my top index rankings that and some from my lower index rankings that you know are not placed the way they are in my final rankings so it, it's pretty cool but before we get there the big the big hurrah <clears throat> the big reveal why don't we get into some of these just more you know conversational type categories that we've ranked for perpetrators and environments and stuff like that yeah okay so I mean, I will go out there right now and say that I've created a list of favorite clients. And I'm wondering if these gel with the listeners, if they gel with you. There were a lot of clients, remember. Um, nearly every story had in some way a client uh, part. Now, whether that was an individual, whether that was a government uh, agency or official, whether that was... Um, Mycroft, you know, whatever brought the story in to Holmes and Watson's world is considered by us to be a client. And once again, we're leaving the novels out of this. We'll talk about the novels, the four novels in a few moments. But for the short stories, in no particular order, top five clients. Now, this was tough, obviously, for both of us because, you know, we got 56 stories to work through in, the, in these yes. uh, short story collections. But I'm not going to number them and say one, two, three, four, five. I'm just going to say here, here were really my favorites and might say a little something about them, but I don't know, maybe not. We'll see how we go. Um, one of the guys that stood out for me was Percy Trevelyan, the doctor and the resident patient. I really liked his play on 
um, you know, a, a young guy trying to break into the business, which Doyle knows something about, Watson knows something about, and so I felt like that was written quite believably, you know, how he was, you know, he was trying to get himself into a, a good working situation, and then all of a sudden comes in this patient that's obviously bringing all kinds of baggage and history with him, but he goes to Holmes as a suspicious, quite clever guy who you know, is concerned about his patient, but also wondering if his own life is, is safe. I thought it was interesting as a client, him. Um, I also yeah, like... He, he has a business he's concerned about. Yep. And, uh, you know, and, and he's worried about his client uh, as a, from, from a doctor and from a human point of view. And then at the same time, he's worried about his business. So yeah. he's kind of, uh, he's, he's assaulted on both fronts there in terms of his anxieties. Um. We mentioned many times the uh, Scotland Yard connection to Holmes and to the stories. In The Six Napoleons, however, Lestrade is an interesting guy because he brings the case to Holmes and he acts sort of as a client inspector. And although it isn't technically a client, I did like the way that um, Lestrade kind of showed a bit more humanity here than we've seen in some other stories. He opened up a bit... You know, he was more grateful for Holmes, and I thought we saw a little bit more of his character arc through this client lens. So I put him down as a client, and from the Six Napoleons, I liked him in that. Um, the Greek interpreter, uh, Josh, I also liked uh, the interpreter himself, Mr. Melas. I thought his story was really cool. Yeah, and he was very good. I, I like kind of like, I don't want to now just kind of walk on the eggshells here. I like the foreign perspective of his character. Mm -hmm. I liked how he was like, you know, he's Greek, but he was also... A, um, a Londoner, you know, and I, I, looked, I like how he gave a great portrayal of Cosmopolis in London and then the people who yep. live there, and he was a great example of it, and, he, and, you know, he could hold his own in his own way, and he was a tough guy. Yeah, so check out our episode on that one uh, way back when we were looking at the memoirs, because we talked about that cosmopolitan um, component to the city. That's right. Uh, and the other two... I've got from the Redheaded League, Jabez Wilson. I know he's a bit of an oaf, uh, but he's also, you know, he eventually got it, didn't he? He the buck eventually dropped that something's not right here, and I liked him. I felt sorry for him. Um, I, I felt he was really well written, and I kind of liked the whole story that he brings to Holmes and how that opens up into this huge John Clay investigation. And finally, Violet Hunter, probably the strongest female character we get. Um, certainly female client or secondary character we get i really liked yeah. her in the copper beaches yeah Violet hunter was great and the copper beaches is awesome and if you haven't seen the grenada version uh the late uh, natasha richardson is fantastic as yeah, violet she, she is really good so how about you bfg what do you think uh, your favorite clients are just a, a smattering of them a smattering of my favorite clients <clears throat> well number one 100 percent uh violet hunter mm -hmm. um and then, just you know, as we said, she's a heroine, um, but she's not like uh, one of those typical kind of like overly, uh, I guess, feminist type of heroines. Like she's a feminine in her own era and of her own time. And she came across as a very, she came across as a three-dimensional character, not just as like a set piece, I guess you could say, or a plot device. And uh, that's one thing I really liked about her, her curiosity, um, being scared and being frightened, but also having courage to continue forward. I, um, you know, she's, I think, in her, in her own way. Uh, I've always, I've always uh, I, I can see how some people come up with, you know, like with fan fiction and, and stuff like that. And I could have definitely seen her being uh, someone that Sherlock Holmes possibly could have settled down with more so than, say, Irina Adler. Hmm. What do you think? I don't know. I don't like to play that game too much about who Holmes, like Holmes has a type. I remember in the last episode, you, you talked about Holmes having a type. Uh, maybe 
maybe he does. He certainly seems to open towards some women in a way that he does in others, but I don't feel confident really saying who he would settle down with because I don't think he would settle down with anybody necessarily. Uh, I don't know. It's maybe that's a conversation for a more studious Sherlockian than myself. Uh, moving forward, um, some kind of in a similar vein, like a, more, like a gothic heroine is you have Helen Stoner, but she was definitely more of a client and a, a possible victim in this. Mm. And she was kind of a plot device, but I thought that she was still a strong character in her own way. And I found her predicament uh, incredibly depressing. And I, you know, I was scared for her through the whole situation of what was going on. And I was intrigued by it. So I, th- I liked Helen Stoner as a character as well for a, yeah. for, for a client. In the, uh, uh, that's a speckled band, isn't it? Speckled band, yeah, absolutely. It's Arthur Conan Doyle's favorite story. Mm. Something about snakes, maybe, I don't know. Uh, now, uh, I don't know if you agree with me on this one, but I would also like to throw into the ring Victor Hatherley of The Engineer's Thumb. Yeah, he was on my shortlist as well. I, I, I loved Hatherley. It's one of my, uh, it's a story I've just finished teaching, actually, which I, the kids have really enjoyed that one. Um, yeah. Yeah, for its macabre elements, I think. Hatherley was great. If Hitchcock adapted that, Cary Grant or Jimmy Stewart would play Victor Hatherley. Uh, Stewart, I think, I could see, I think. Yeah, Stewart, actually, yeah, Grant was too suave. Stewart, uh, Jimmy Stewart would have been perfect for, for uh, Victor. Yeah, because he, he can play confused a little bit more. Yeah, I'm just thinking now, wow, like, this just sounds like an awesome idea. It's just like Sherlock doing the engineer's, uh, sorry, Hitchcock doing the engineer's thumb. Yeah, it would have been good. Yeah. Who else uh, then, on your course, list? Jabez Wilson, I oh, have him good. on there from That's the Redheaded good. League. Yeah, yeah, cool. and I think this is a guy. He's my favorite client uh, who ended up being the villain is Josiah Amberley. I know he's late from the you know from the from the last story in the, That's in the a good one. but he is a piece of work that guy. And I loved how he tried to out try to outfox Sherlock Holmes, saying, "Well, if my if my um, if my crime is Sherlock Holmes proof, then I'm obviously going to succeed." Yeah, <laughs> That's a good uh, one. Yeah, that's definitely a um, Icarus flying too close to the sun there in terms of 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 of, of, uh, of, of, of perps. But I also he is a client, so I thought I thought he, I found him an interesting client for, in that in that particular. Um, yeah, it's all swagger. Exactly, it's all swagger and stuff. He's trying to pretend to be a client, but he is still a client in the beginning, so that counts. Excellent. Well, let's move on then and talk about our favorite locations or environments for the stories. Um, I'm, I won't get into too much detail about it or depth we we made the decision didn't we through our conversation that we weren't going to take any extensive quotes about these things we're just going to kind of do the rankings of them and chat a little bit about them and move on so um i suppose uh, i'm not going to say it's an apology to the listener who might like to hear some of the nice writing of these uh environments evoked what i'm going to say instead is go read the story and you'll see hopefully why you or and i choose these as nice locations um, exactly. It's like saying I'm going to go to Rome, and I can tell you how I can tell you what Rome looks like. I can tell you I saw the Colosseum, or I saw St. Peter's Basilica, but I but you can't really experience it until you go see it yourself. Well done. Exactly that in a literary sense. So from the Abbey Grange, that story, I really like the Abbey Grange itself and the environment hmm. around Chislehurst. I, I thought it was really nicely rendered. And the murder scene and all of that stuff was was really evocative for me. And it it drew me in. So that was one of my favorite locales. I also really liked London as it was portrayed to us in the Blue Carbuncle, where 
Holmes mm. and Watson are going around seeing different things, not just one location, but multiple locations of a working city with Covent Garden and all kinds of cool Christmas atmosphere. I thought that was yeah. really nice. That's a good, really good point. I wanted to really bring in the, uh, London. I, I was thinking of like the sign of four of London, you know, like mm. the river, like the the uh, the riverfront yep. and the warehouse district and then all the different areas of London that you go to in the sign of four. But you make a really good case uh, for the, in the short story format of uh, the blue carbuncle. So that's a that's a good pick. Uh, I uh, liked also from the adventure of Black Peter. I liked the wield in Kent. I liked that whole uh, wilderness within the wilderness and the gruesome shack and all of that. I felt was yeah. really really cool. And uh, yeah, it's, really it's almost in. like it's almost like that shot in the Searchers by uh, John Ford where. Uh, John Wayne's character is standing in the doorway and of the of the cabin, and then outside is like the wild west, you know, like yep. the, the in civilization versus the wild, you know, yep. and the cabin in the middle there, just standing in the middle of a forest made out of wood, trying to be a uh, giving the idea of a civilization, but really the brutality that went on in there is anything but. So that's yep. a good pick. Um, I then went into the devil's foot and talked about uh paul du and cornwall and that i whole, almost the had whole that environment. On my, i almost had that on my list mm -hmm. i almost but I, re I replaced it with something else um but yeah I, that was like that was that was going to make my top five was cornwall and the devil's foot and finally josh i i guess kind of like with the abbey grange i really liked the whole environment around the crooked man aldershot the murder scene it was a closed or locked room mystery and i mm. thought that was all really really interesting stuff so i went i went for that one too and i know i left a lot of big ones off my list maybe you'll be talking about or sharing one of those but those are my five abbey grange the blue carbuncle black peter devil's foot the crooked man check out those stories for what bowman thinks are some of the best environs of the canon okay well uh i have here uh i think of like when you know you have winchester the ancient capital of of of, of england the surrounding countryside that train ride that holmes and watson undertake to go to the copper beaches yeah um yeah when the, about the idea of like where in in out in the country you know like uh, there's that's where civilization can possibly break down. It's like the darkness of, of, of the rural, which is a really interesting aspect that um, concept story that Sherlock Holmes uh, just discussed. Uh, but that train ride ultimately leads, of course, to the Copper Beaches itself, a fantastically rendered Gothic um, manse uh, with all of its mysteries um, that you expect you know to be in such kind of a story and so copper beaches to me is like to me one of my favorite locations of sherlock holmes yeah it's a next one. to next to say baskerville hall hmm which we but, can't really talk about because it's a novel, no but so that's why i jumped to also yeah. into the speckled band to mm. stoke Mer stoke moran stoke moran yeah with uh this with 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 you know part of the of the of the of the of the estate uh under construction for and then you know Giving the whole pre the whole pretense for uh, Helen Stoner to stay in that room, you know that fateful room, sure. and uh, just how everything was described with the the room, you know the room in the other hall where Roylott is with his safe and his milk and his snake, and then in the other room, you know like the uh, the bell pull, the vents, all of that, you know, just great atmosphere all, all the way all the way through. Yeah, that's a good choice. Uh, 
And it has that old kind of, and I like the idea, like the, the gypsies all over the place and animals running around uh, while like baboons and cheetahs or what have you. Mm-hmm. I think it just gave a great atmosphere to the whole situation. Um, the breakdown of like society, you know, this colonial man coming back and bringing all of his evil and violence and stuff that just doesn't fit into the world that he's trying to live in now, you know, mm-hmm. shows that he never really evolved from what he was. Um, I'm going to throw in Hurlstone. From the Musgrave ritual, oh, I just yeah. love, I Excellent. just love the I just love the history behind it. Yeah, uh, this, the descriptions, everything was done in a way that you could visualize everything, and uh, so they put the whole story together. Nice so, one. Yeah, and I this is when I, I differed from you at London. Um, sorry, this is when I wanted to have. Uh, it wasn't London, the, the one that you mentioned. Uh, what was the other one you, Blue you mentioned? Blue Carbuncle. Yeah, not Blue Carbuncle. It was the, it was the other lo- lo- location that that you mentioned. Uh, you had talked about the sign of the four. Yeah, but uh, there was another besides. Oh, sorry, the, besi- Black Peter. No, not Black Peter. It was it was the other one. Abby Grange. Nope, the other one. Hurst, uh, Cornwall. Cornwall, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to put Cornwall from the Devil's Foot, but vividly in my mind, I could just I was so intrigued by the by the mutiny on the glorious Scott. <laughs> and so the glorious Scott has just a great setting for me. It's probably to me the best exposition uh locale. So I wanted to put that in there. Yeah. That was on my short list as well. Because it's funny because I started watching uh, Black Sails. It's a pirate uh oh, yes, drama. Yeah. And just the description of like of the uh, of you know going on under and they're shooting out and trying to take a, a ship or whatever in a mutiny. It reminded me of the Glorious Scott, so that's what kind of got my my, uh, my juices flowing there. Nice. Uh, finally, I have the bar of gold from the man uh, with the twisted yeah. lip. Mm-hmm. You can't get more uh, dark Victorian era than an opium den. Quite right. Quite right. And that's another story I taught with my class uh, quite recently. And we were talking about, you know, the importation of opium and the opium wars and and how places like this existed, though they weren't necessarily as depicted. But uh, we had a good good uh, chat about that. I must say the kids are really coming on to homes. Some of them, I think they uh, quite switched on to it. But that's a great location. It really is. And um, the whole, I, you know, the, the whole way that that's the motivating incident, too, of the story, how the two of these characters meet up there, very different principles. Yeah, absolutely. So nice work. Okay, well, that's um, favorite clients and favorite locales taken up. Let's go to perpetrators. Oh wait, let's do, let's do, let's do the top five lamest ones first. Though. Okay, let's look this... at our lame perpetrators. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I don't think you are no. either. Let's just rattle them off. Um, my number, well, number five, number four, whatever, it doesn't matter. My group of the, the lamest perpetrators from the canon. Uh, the lion means the lion's main jellyfish. Okay, I like there. that story, but I put that in there anyways. I know you did <laughs> like that story. Yeah, so you're with me on that one, are you? Yeah, he's it's lame. I, I like it's a yeah. lame perp in terms of, of what a perp should be. I guess dramatically. Yeah. But I, I enjoyed. I liked the fact that, that that was a perp for a story. I found that original. Okay. But at the same time, yeah, a, a jellyfish is pretty freaking lame. <laughs> um, is it as lame as Colonel Emsworth from the Blanche Soldier? Because he's on my list. He was okay, but he's not on my he's not on my list. But I, I was kind of like meh about him. I, mean, I felt I felt that he was lame as as a bit of a red herring, and the, the idea of him not coming clean with another military man who was concerned for the welfare of a son, I never bought it. I thought it was kind of lame. The story was kind of lame. It was, um, and those are both stories narrated by Holmes. So it says something, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, Watson has a better way of character. 
the Mazarin Stone gave us Count Silvius and Sam Merton, who were just like, oh, they were <laughs> terrible one and two act. I didn't like them very much at all. I thought they were pretty dumb. Yeah. Um, Joseph Harrison from the Naval Treaty, a heavily regarded story. I didn't like him. I thought he was a bit dull and a little bit lame, to use the word of a category. I found um, that, like, for someone who basically screwed over his brother-in-law, um, I, I just found him just, it was a terrible person, but I, I think he deserved more depth, in my opinion. Yeah, totally. And we did talk about that during the episode, too. And finally, um, maybe he's the lamest of all, Gilchrist from The Three Students. <laughs> I have him. I have Bannister slash Gilchrist, basically. Okay, cool. Right. Well, Another, go over to you. Yeah, I'm sure he'll be fine in South Africa. <laughs> So, uh, so I got I had the Lions Main, I had Banner and Gilchrist. Uh, well, I had Gilchrist, I guess you could say, in, in comparison to yours. Um, I also had Abe Slaney. This was just to, mm-hmm. from the Dancing Men. He, this was just another yeah. one of those New York hood or American hoods coming <laughs> over with a and a girl with a tragic past kind of story that's just over and done many many times. And I think he was the worst incarnation. Uh, a much better version of him, but I wouldn't I didn't put him in my top the v- v- villains was the uh, perpetrator in the um, Three Garadebs. Yes, you're correct, yep. Yeah, that to me was a more improved version of that type of character. Yep. Let's add on there uh, Dr. Presbury of the Creepy Man. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, we discussed the Creepy Man, so I'll just leave it at that. The vitriol is still still foaming from your mouth. Yes, I gotta wipe it off of the... Wipe off the vitriol and wash off the orange juice. All right, so um, who's, who's your fifth? Lucy from the yellow <laughs> face. I know it's not her fault, but to me, it's just to me, it was just kind of like, look how racist we can possibly be. I, I don't know. Like, I just found uh, it's lame, and maybe I put it on. I put her on there as a joke, but yeah, uh, I, I can Lucy, see that as yeah, Lucy, it, that that brat. I I can appreciate that. Nice work. All right, so now we'll move on to our top five perpetrators. Okay. So these are the uh, villains. We use that word in, in quotation marks because they're not necessarily villains, but the perpetrators, the ones who bring the crime as such and bring the criminal aspect into the story. Uh, our top five, my top five, uh, in no particular order, Grimsby Roylott from the Speckled Band. <laughs> John Clay from the Red-Headed League. Oh, good choice. Uh, I like the fact that he is of royal blood, and when um, the Inspector Jones is trying to put his uh, cuffs on him, he talks about getting his dirty hands off him. Doesn't he know that his uncle was a duke and all this type of stuff? Like, he's got a real depth to him. Yeah, um, he, yeah, very sense of, sense of ent- entitlement, yeah. I liked, uh, as a villain, as a perpetrator, um, Milverton from The Adventure of Charles Augustus Milverton. Yeah, I got him. And I've got, from the illustrious client, Baron Gruner. Oh, yeah, Baron Gruner. Yeah, I forgot about that guy, that piece of shit. <laughs> I forgot about that total terrible piece of shit. And my final one, Josh, uh, might be a bit of a, a swing for you because I don't think you responded in quite the same way I did, but Culverton Smith from The Dying Detective. I got Culverton Smith here. Oh, that makes me so happy. And I have an honorable mention to Silver Blaze for kicking his trainer in the face. <laughs> Good old Silver Blaze. Good old Silver yeah. Blaze. So, so there my you go. T- my top five perps. Yeah, I got I got Milverton there. The okay. the 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 the, um, uh, the irredeemable blackmailer, the proud blackmailer. Mm-hmm. Then we have our old friend Jeffro Rucastle. That guy's oh, a piece yeah, of work. He's a good one. Yeah, from the um, from the Copper Beaches. Mm-hmm. Can't forget Grimsy Roylott. 
any person, just his character alone and how he was designed and stuff is almost part of the, just the scary atmosphere of the story itself. He fits in there so well. And just the, the presence that it was looming over, you know, Helen Stoner and her sister, uh, that's just a frightening character and he, he deserves mention. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to add Colburn Smith as well. Great. Uh, but also I want to add Maria Gibson. Wow. Interesting. Do you mean, are you, are you writing that out for her depth or what? Over her depth. And I like that. I, like I like the idea of how like she was going to basically in her own way, she was kind of like a, a victim and a perpetrator at the same time. Yeah. Um, and how yeah. she wanted to frame, how she went to the, just to the diabolical depths to frame herself, to, to, to kill herself, but frame it on the, on the woman that she believes is threatening, you know, her world and, and, and whatnot. And that's the only way that she could, you know, make her presence known to Gibson. And uh, it's just a tragic kind of, kind of villain, I guess you could say. So, I, think you, I think, you know what, you're, you're, you've hit something pretty important here. She is a, more of a literary character, isn't she? That could be expanded yeah. on in a way that maybe one of these others is just more of a fun villain, like a guy like John Clay or... You know, with a bit of depth, or a guy like well, Gruner and Gibson, they seem a lot more, a lot more textured. They're more textured, and they're, I think they're more. They seem more like psychological profiles. Gruner was one hundred percent a narcissist and and has serial killer aspects to him uh, that you would see in the modern day, with like you know, with the collection of the diaries and all that yeah. sort of thing. Um, Gibson is a psychological profile in depression and, and I guess leading to some sort of like mania or insanity because of that. So I think, I think they're, they're, they're very standout real people. Whereas like people like Roylott and, uh, Rootcastle are aristocrats that allow that basically they they have a sense of entitlement and, and a way to keep, and they want to keep the status quo and control everything that they possibly can around them in their own way and they're just and then you have Milverton uh, who is just a parasite and just uh, and, and it takes and just you know and does it with glee yeah I'm gonna um, and Smith recommend and Smith, and Smith is, is a predator in his own way go back and listen to a couple of those episodes because we really fleshed these guys out didn't we and girls out and it's funny you know you talk about Gibson and how Conan Doyle's brushstrokes there in that story were far more effective than the great expository length he went to try to make the uh the San Pedro guy really engaging, and he just wasn't, was he? Yeah, the Tiger in, in, San Pedro. Yeah, in the Wisteria Lodge. Yeah. Yeah, there's a Banana Republic dictator guy. Yeah, so excellent work. Okay, cool. Let's move on now. Uh, we're nearing our story ranking, so this is exciting. Uh, let's move on to our last couple of categories. Uh, we got to think about and talk about the bromance. We don't have to talk about the bromance, but we got to talk about the friendship, the best Holmes moments, the best Watson moments. We don't have any best together moments planned, but I'm sure they'll come out in conversation. Um, let's start with Watson, okay? All right. My here, here are my favorite Watson moments from the canon in no particular order. Um, I liked his, uh, and I read the line again last night to Sarah and just laughed out loud when, when he, he shot Rootcastle's dog and he blew his brains out. I liked that. Not because he shot a dog. Okay. Like, you know, don't, don't send anybody after us here. Uh, I liked it because of how abrupt it was and the <laughs> colloquial vernacular with which he just threw out, you know, in this, you know, nice nice prose you know i just blew his brains out and the dog came running at me like that's it and so (laughs) poor poor carlo um i liked also when watson posed as a ming dynasty antiquarian in the illustrious client 
Good point. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was nice to see some agency unraveled in a late story. I loved it when he went undercover with Holmes in the story of Charles Augustus Milverton and they're hiding behind the curtain and Watson, you know, jumping through the window and, you know, well, they were really, they were really on, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, that's one that, that's the one that I, that I would think of for sure. Um, but remember though, they weren't undercover. They were just, they were just sneaking in as burglars basically. Oh no, my friend, don't you remember Watson fashioned them masks of silk? Oh yes. The masks of silk. I forgot about that. Cause when I think of Watson and Holmes undercover, I think of uh, old Shoscombe place. Yes, that's very different, isn't it? As anglers, As yeah. Anglers, yeah, exactly. Well, they were in disguise, at least. How's that? Okay, fine. I agree. Um, you know, it's not one of my favorite stories, necessarily, uh, as we discussed during the episode, but throwing the cherry bomb in the scandal of Bohemia is pretty good, because Watson's, <laughs> Watson's got everything to lose, Holmes has got nothing to lose, and as our first look at how this guy responds to Holmes' instructions, it's quite funny. Um, and finally, I really like this moment, it came off the page well, I thought, and quite humorously in, in some ways too, how uh, Watson performed CPR on Harry Pinner, uh, stalt stopping a suicide and the stockbroker's clerk. Remember when they rushed into the room and they right, found him trying right. to hang himself in the closet and he brought that's him down right. and he waved his arms up and down and he got oxygen into his lungs and yeah, he brought right. him back to life. And I, I kind of liked that as a Watson moment from uh, an earlier story. So Agreed. I know I've missed a couple, sure, but those are the ones that I, I came to, first of all, and I thought I should trust my instinct with these. Yeah, I agree. But to me, like the number one Watson moment is... Ch -ch 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 cherry bomb. Yeah. Okay. So you, you can, went for that one. Yeah. Now you can go look for the. Uh, you, gotta, you gotta go look for the uh, the Runaways uh, song, uh, Cherry Bomb. Now. I'd actually looked it out today, thinking I might just play it, but nah. Keep going. Was that was that one of the was that the other door that I didn't take? Did that have Cherry Bomb behind it when, when we did know. that? When I'd have to look episode? back. I'd have yeah. to look back at the B side album that we're going to release once the show becomes, uh, you know listened to by billions yeah, absolutely when it comes to sensation <laughs> um yeah cherry bomb is like probably my favorite watson moment i also like the moment i i, I know that's like it's in different short it's, it depends on what's what vision you have but when holmes does that whole thing about um uh seeing what watson is is uh he i think he was showing some doubt about some stock that he had and watson could tell just by what he what and Holmes could tell just by what Watson was looking at in the in the room by just simply observing him. That was that, 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 that was a great kind of it's kind of a Sherlock slash Watson moment. But I, I I really enjoyed just the rapport between them in that scene. Yeah, it was good. And it's just how it it utterly utterly annoyed Watson in its own way. You know, he puts up with a lot. Oh, he does. Yeah. So what about uh, your Holmes moments? Holmes moments. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well. I've grouped a few here, and it is kind of amazing to me looking at my list, right? Having written these and looked at them again last night, just how mundane they, they kind of are. Like, they aren't all necessarily, aha, like, look at this great reveal. They're not big reveals, but to me, they read really well off the page, and they give the nuance of character that I really admire now that I've read the canon. I really admire about Holmes. And so I hope I'm not going to disappoint anybody here by not giving any big aha moments um, but a couple of things I really liked about Holmes, and th that's kind of how I did it, okay? Um, one of them that stood out to me, and 
after doing a long and short list, it made it there on my final list, is Holmes Spearing the Pig in Black Peter. Oh, yeah. At the beginning, when, you know, the beginning of the story, he's just tired himself out by spearing a pig, right? <laughs> it's part yeah. of the investigation. That just, that kind of went towards my understanding of his tenacity and exactly what he'll do to get into a crime scene, you know? Yeah. Um, in the three Garadebs, when he pistol whips James Winter, who was... For Shaw posing. Watson. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I like that. I thought that was a nice character moment. Great romance um, moment, too. But yes, it was. In the Rygate puzzle, when he deliberately knocks over the table so yes. that he can, you know, uncover a greater series of clues. I thought that was really neat. And he blames Watson's clumsiness, you know, and that leads to obviously an advantage that he gains over the two men. And I thought that that was really cool. Again, it's mundane, right? But yes. we know as we read it that this is an exciting little thing that's happened here. Absolutely. And by the time we get to that story in the memoirs, we know that Holmes doesn't do stuff like that unless he's wanting it to, you know, lead on to something, right? Exactly. We're wondering, like, what, like, what is he going to do to, uh, to, you know, tip over the status quo of the crime scene in, in a way that he can have control of it and the perps do not? Yeah. So two more. Um, I liked how after all of the uh, forensic work that he put in to discovering the truth behind the barrel coronet and what happened to it, I love how the whole thing culminates with him tracking down and then just finally sticking a gun to Burnwell's head. Yeah, absolutely. I would say anything in the barrel coronet. Sherlock Holmes at the top of his game there. That was just a great, that's just Sherlock Holmes operating at, you know, uh, on, uh, I guess, um, at full capacity. Yeah. 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 And, and anything in the barrel coronet to me is, 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 uh, is, is probably, to me, that's my favorite, like, I guess my favorite Sherlock Holmes, uh, not my favorite Sherlock Holmes story, but it's my favorite Sherlock Holmes as an investigator on a case. Interesting. That's that's the story I just finished teaching with the kids. We're doing the adventures of um, Sherlock Holmes and right. I just looked at the barrel coronet and I think that they were really interested in that one as well for all of these little things that they could follow because I've given every student in the class a little small red jotter, like a, a case book. I'd call it a case book and they have to kind of record their clues as we read and I stop and give them time to kind of record what they know of the characters, what they've been told through the client confession or whatever and they then have to kind of think and hypothesize and some of them have really gone to town because I collect it like I would an exercise book. Some of them gone to town with like drawing maps of the locations as they're described in the stories and some of them predictably have just written down the bare minimum but yes. it's, it's nice to see how several of them are really taking to it, you know? Good. That's awesome. It's great to introduce something. They're almost like your own little Goodreads forum, eh? They kind of are, yeah, in a way. <laughs> um, um, finally, the other Holmes moment I had on from the canon that I really liked was when Holmes, uh, following the beating he received uh, at the hand of Baron Gruner's uh, heavies, he spins the press to really build up the injury, and he uses that as an advantage. I really like that moment as well. Good, that's a good one too, absolutely. But like I say, Josh, you know, these some of them are mundane and they aren't those big, big moments that the stories will reveal as being necessarily important. But I guess it's a credit to how I now read this guy as a deep character. And some of them are connected to emotions and some of them are connected to his moral compass. So there's a lot in here that we could have fleshed out. And these are just the ones that spoke to me. Those are some good observations. So um, your turn. 
Yeah, as I mentioned, anything in the barrel coronet, I have that down. Um, I like to have Holmes getting engaged. I think it's one of the great <laughs> yeah, moments. Yeah. It's ridiculous, but it's yeah. awesome at the same time. Yes, it it's is. It's just kind of it's it's in one paragraph, just indicating how intense and tenacious Sherlock Holmes actually is when it comes yeah. to these cases. Yeah, to Milverton's maid or whatever. Yeah, Milverton's maid. Yeah, absolutely. That was great in uh, the case of Charles Augustus. What was Milverton. her name? What was her name? Oh, uh, it doesn't matter. Well, I'll I'll figure it out. Well, it doesn't matter to him, so it shouldn't matter to us. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, it don't matter to Holmes. So, yeah, um, I would also add his. Uh, I really liked his paternal concern for Violet Hunter in the Copper Beaches. Hmm. Uh, There's a couple moments of that that were really that were really good. Any moment where I think Holmes is like. Uh, show shows a bit of chivalry. Uh, I, I don't. I don't. I know that's kind of a sexist word in these today in these today's circles. But back then, like for someone like Sherlock Holmes, the way that he is and the way that that he acts around people, and and I guess the uh, the the, uh, the way that he carries himself, I, I always found those moments that you know of him being concerned and uh, as like almost like a paternal kind of concern. I I, I don't know. I just found them. They're they're very poignant to his character. Hmm. Um, I would also add um, Sherlock Holmes. Another one where he's all, all the way through was the whole while he was you know he was firing on all cylinders was during the uh, the, the the problem of Thor Bridge, um, especially when they're on yeah. the bridge and he comes and he figures out the mechanism that uh, that Maria Gibson used to uh, frame Miss Dunbar. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was a great Sherlock Holmes moment too, and a good a good Sherlock Watson moment. I guess you could add to that. Yep, good good uh, good partnership. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I also really like, even though, I mean, it's not a huge thing in the books as it, as it is like in popular culture, but I actually found in the final problem, Sherlock versus Moriarty, that was a really good mind game between two people. I wish we knew Moriarty a bit more at that time, um, yeah. but I found that Holmes himself uh, versus Moriarty, that was just, uh, there's there something epic going on in that story, you know? Yes, there was. You're correct to cite that. Um, I didn't, but you're right. Uh, <clears throat> as much as we talked at the time about Moriarty's thinness on the page, and for me, at the, you know, I'm just a casual, before coming into this uh, experiment project with you, just a casual uh, observer of Holmes stuff, I now can't understand how Moriarty became so popular given how very little there is of him, you know? So... Yeah, that, but it is important, isn't it? Uh, and you do well to reference it because I didn't. So at least one of us did. Yeah, I'm really curious to see uh, like why Moriarty became so popular. Uh, it's 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 very interesting. Maybe because it was probably after Conan Doyle died, and I, maybe it was just uh, maybe that, at that time that's when like pulp was pulp books were big, and then you have yeah, like maybe. you know, and then you have like the DC Comics creating Superman and then Batman. The idea of the you know the Golden Age of Comics, the idea of the supervillain. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that's just how he kind of caught on in, yeah. as, in pop culture is that he's just, as a super villain and well Sherlock Holmes is the most famous I guess in his own way hero um, so you know he needs a foil right so Moriarty was, was the only one that they could really think of I suppose and also perhaps we are underestimating a hundred years on the impact of Holmes's death when Moriarty was involved and that having created a wave of reaction and writing and response, which has continued to snowball. And then we get involved yes. and we're looking yes. at it as, wow, this is really big, but we don't see why because we're coming at it from today, right? Yeah, exactly. But now we realize, oh, wait, 
back then, this guy killed. They they, they only yeah. knew who he was when he was 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 linked to the death of Sherlock Holmes. That's right. So this guy was responsible for killing their favorite character off in some way. Yeah. So obviously that he's going to stick out more than he actually really That's right. does. And he will yeah. as in yeah mentioned in two of fifty six stories. Yeah. Or yes. fifty six stories in kind of one novel. Right. Nice. Okay. So let's move on then. Um, I don't know if you've if you've done this, but before we get into our ranking of the stories, I thought it might be uh, just an opportunity. I, I've I've written down five of the stories that I would just simply discard, and I would tell people stay away from these, even for a completist's <laughs> sake. Unless you really need to do something like you and I are doing, you don't have to read these stories. And I've selected five. Do you have yeah, any that you got? Some? I can I can name five off. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, my five are the Sussex Vampire, <laughs> the Three Students, yeah. the Mazarin Stone, Wisteria Lodge, and the Veiled Lodger. Okay. Not not that any of them have things that are really, you know, that aren't worth saving, but. I could have done without reading those five stories. Yeah, there, there's not. There, I mean, there there are some interesting parts in the Veil Lodger as we discussed last week. Yes, there but, are. But to me, it's just, it just, I, I just don't, I just find them ephemeral in the overall canon. Yeah, in the overall canon, because they don't feel like Sherlock. That's not a Sherlock Holmes story, is it? It's a story of this woman and her, you know, her her tale of whatever, and it just kind of, it, it's like a story that intersects with Holmes' world, but it's not a Holmes story. Yeah. Meanwhile, the adventure of the three students is just lame. Yeah. So what about you? Uh, I got the adventure of the three students. That's definitely one for me. The completely overrated naval treaty, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, it is overrated, yeah. Yeah, that one to me wasn't great. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of the dancing men either. I don't think you really need to read that story. And oh, wow, it has pictograms in the text. I mean, that's really all it offers. Um, beyond that, uh, I would have to say the creeping man is definitely one you don't need to read. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We that disagree and, uh, a little bit about that. That and, but... that and, that and Wisteria Lodge. Yeah, Wisteria Lodge. I think, Lodge, I think yeah. we agree. And the Mazarin Stone is just like, it's not great either. I don't put it in my top five worst ones, but it's just not a great story. And it, it, it's, it's one of those things that just comes out, it should have been a play only, and that's it. Well, okay. Tis your opinion, and tis my opinion. So there we go. That's us with our fun character and our canonical categories. There are other things we could have talked about, other things we discussed, but we thought that we would save the last half hour or so for our discussion of the stories themselves. And... We're not going to talk about our bottom 25, just our top 25. Or would you like to do the novels first? Yeah, let, let, let's go. Let's just uh, rank the novels. Just rank the novels. Okay, well, in that case, pal, you know what time it is. Conan Doyle wrote four of them, two before any short story was composed. So... Let's rank our novels and talk about what we like and what we don't. And in the background, you'll be listening to A Violin Concerto by Alexander Glazunov, one that I'm sure Holmes would approve of. <laughs> I'm sure. So, my ranking from fourth to first. My least favorite Sherlock Holmes novel was The Valley of Fear. Now, ironically... That received the second top in terms of mark for me, 
I gave it 20 out of 25, but I'm ranking it as my lowest because though it is a great book, it isn't a great Holmes novel. Yes. And that's how I felt about it at the time. And that's how I, that's how I still feel about it. Would I recommend it? Yes. Is it an essential canonical piece? There's loose connection to Moriarty, but no, I don't think it is. And so no. the value of fear for me is at the bottom. Now, the next one was tough because there are parts of the sign of four that I really, really love. We had a blast reading it. We had a blast talking about it. But at the end of the day, I think it lacks a little bit of the investigator, which is what I want. And it has some investigation, of course, at the beginning. But then you've got this enormous, Holmes not even involved, backstory. And I felt like the sign of the four, a study in Scarlet, if I have to choose between them, the first part of the study in Scarlet, the investigative part, where he's down on the floor looking at the blood, the tracks, the wagon marks, you know, everything on the walls, that to me is better than what I get in the bed, uh, sorry, in the, the loft and in, what's the guy's name in the sign of the four? The... The, yeah, the uh, Sholto, Sholto Brothers, Sholto's Sholto's house, Brothers. That's right. Sholto's house, yeah. I just felt that atmospherically, I felt that the investigation was a little bit more engaging and less um, less dropped, character dropping tons and tons of backstory. Now, of course, we had that entire section of a study in Scarlet that was a backstory. And I, I, you know, I appreciate that I'm saying something that might sound a bit contradictory, but to me, the sign of the four, despite its great action in the denouement had a particularly slow midsection that unless I was really into colonial history and quasi jewel theft and you know murder and seeks and stuff like that I, I wasn't just going to go for it so I went for the sign of the four in third place a study in scarlet in second place and nothing tops the hound of the Baskervilles it is by far and away a more interesting, atmospheric, and effective novel. I think it's a story that exists as an excellent part of the canon and beyond the canon. It's a standalone yes. novel that you can read and enjoy. And it's a partnership that I think A Study in Scarlet and Baskerville are the partnership stories. Those are the ones where you're seeing Watson's reactions and Watson's, Watson's agency more active, more punctuated than elsewhere in, the, in the, the four. So do I like them all? Yes, I do like them all. But Baskerville's top, Scarlet is second, Sign of the Four is third, Valley of Fear fourth for me. Yeah, that's an excellent list. And my list uh, is pretty much the same, actually. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Number four was uh, Valley of Fear, without a doubt. I loved the story a lot. I was really into, you know, uh, into Bertie's story, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. um, it, uh, it was intriguing, and I liked the whole criminal nature of it and how it got into the unions of uh, Western United States and how, how Holmes brought, how Arthur Conan Doyle brought that into the story so well. And the mystery itself of the, the murder, uh, so the, the quote-unquote murder, um, was also intriguing. The Moriarty connection to canon, that's great. But it's, it wasn't really a Sherlock Holmes story. It, 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 it was, it's like almost like a spin-off in, in, in its own way. It's the only way I can really describe it. Um, it is, choosing, it's true, yeah. Choosing three and, uh, number three and number two was a real tricky one for 
parts i love the i've loved so many sections of the sign of four i love the to i love the, the the toby the moment with toby I, I i like a lot of the early setup in the story um the, the the boat chase at the end is great um i even found the india thing intriguing um but parts of it were uh, parts of it were yeah like there, there's lots of four that i really really like but um i do agree though that uh study in scarlet is superior to it um, I, I found that even though the exposition moments, like, you know, the whole, all the chapters in Utah there, I found that those were much more engaging than the ones in the sign of four. And it's almost like you're really, and I just love, and the writing, I think in the, in the, in, the, in those, in, the, in those, in those sequences are particularly strong yeah. than the one in, that you have in the sign of four. In the yes. sign of four. And, and I will admit that I think, I think structurally a study in Scarlet is a little, clunky it's a little more obvious here's the first part here's the big second part and background and here's the part where they all come together boom boom and boom okay so it's easier to understand but and the sign of the four is more sophisticated in turn however the writing as you just rightly say the writing of that second part in the study of scarlet is so good yes and that's i think that's i think that that, that that's the key um extra boost you know that brings it over the uh, sign of four. And number one, the Hound of the Baskervilles, yeah, without a doubt, like that is literature. That is a, a great novel on its own. Um, if you want to have someone say, you know, I, I, you know, like, I don't want to read all these Sherlock Holmes stories, but I would like to see, I would like to read a Sherlock Holmes story. Mm-hmm. Just read the Hound of the Baskervilles and that's all you need for the Sherlock Holmes experience. I think you're right, yeah. Even though Holmes is missing from it, for a certain amount of time, but he is Holmes in the story without a doubt. Yes, and and the thing is, is that even though he's not, he's not in there, he's there, and when he and when he shows up, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. So you know what I mean. So it, it works so well narratively in the structure and how it's done that even though there's little there's less Holmes in it, I guess you could say. Um, I think it really captures the whole world of Holmes and what and what and what and what this and, and what I guess it's all about. Mm-hmm. If, I, if you want to give a bit of a vague. Um, explanation, but what it's about referring to um, the atmosphere it connotes, the storytelling um, that it displays, um, and the characterizations you know that that make it so endearing to millions and millions and millions of people. Well said. So there we go. We see eye to eye on that. That's really cool. I didn't expect to. I, I thought we would see Baskerville the same because we were so enthusiastic about it. And um, Valley of Fear, I felt. When we talked about the Valley of Fear, too, we had a real struggle with the narrative, didn't we? Because we admitted that this was a great story. It was fun. It was Its context was very rich. Its environments were very rich. But as a home story, we, we just can't admit it to the same level. And it was good. It's a good chat we had there. But as for the other two, I really wasn't sure where you'd go. So that was neat to see. Yeah, well... Then. well. I think it kind of demonstrates that in a way that we have our different opinions, but we're very, very close to, um, in the short stories, we're very, we're always very close to some, like one or two points off, you know, in, in terms of the scoring and how we feel about things. So there was very rarely where we had big disagreements on things. Mm-hmm. And I think the novels, you know, only being four of them, I guess if you do the math and average it out, it makes sense that, you know, we would have the same kind of ranking. All right, then let's, uh, let's do this. Let's do the top 25. Are you ready for it? I am ready. The 
top 25 Sherlock Holmes stories are on their way as delivered to you by Scott and Josh. If you're going to shed a tear, folks, now is the time because after this short little chat, our series will be no longer. It's down to this now. Four novels ranked, 25 short stories about to be ranked as well. Let's begin, Josh, with our bottom tier. These being the bottom of the top 25 short stories involving Sherlock Holmes that we would save, recommend, or otherwise preserve. I'll go first. Sure. From the casebook of Sherlock Holmes, I have selected two stories here in the bottom tier. The Problem of Thorbridge and The Three Garadebs. Okay, from, I, I had that, that, that in my bottom five, the three Garadets. From the return of Sherlock Holmes, I have selected The Adventure of the Priory School and The Adventure of Black Peter. Okay. From The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, though ranked 44th overall, I have selected A Case of Identity. Okay. Surprised me a little bit that one did, but I thought that there was intrinsically something human, disgusting, and engaging, I suppose, in equal measure about Mr. Windebank and his Hosmer Angel persona persona looking to take advantage of and the inheritance safeguarding of his uh, stepdaughter, Mary Sutherland. I like the fact that Holmes... I like the fact that it's it's an armchair investigation. He solves it all without leaving his apartment. And that, I think, makes it quite effective and quite unique. And I just thought it was fun to read. And I did teach that one as well recently, so maybe it was in my mind. But as I reread it, and as I taught it, as I recognized what it said about gender roles in um, Victorian London, and, you know, this, this fear of foreigners taking money from people and you know I just I thought there was a lot of stuff in here that would make it a good story to read of at the time a bit of fun Black Peter I was surprised to see that there too although it was tied for 20th overall in my rankings but it isn't is it one that comes right off the tongue when you think about great stories but no. it was there for my fifth tier so that's me how about you well uh, from the Keith book of Sherlock Holmes I have the retired color man. Okay. Joseph Amberley is a great villain, uh, the client slash villain. Um, it's a very simplistic kind of story, but to me, I think it was one of the best. Uh, it, was probably, it was probably like uh, it's probably one of the best from the casebook of Sherlock Holmes. Okay. Um, the other story from that I have much much uh, higher up the list. Okay. Um, the Abbey Grange, a great kind of who done it, mm. a great a great who done it in a small place with lots of atmosphere. Uh, now that one is from the Return of Sherlock Holmes, if yep. I'm correct. Yep. Yeah. Uh, then I have, um, I actually like the story on its own, and you know, like I was disappointed, I guess you could say, by uh, like Moriarty. Uh, there, was, there was a lot of pop culture love for Irina Adler, mm-hmm. and but I still found the scandal in Bohemia was an engaging mystery uh, in its own way. So I have that in my bottom five. Okay. Um, I have the three Garadebs, as you do. Oh, um, I, uh, the, the, the whole con of the whole thing, 
the viciousness of uh, of the of the perpetrator. Um, as I said, a good example of the American hood coming over and being you know being something more uh, than what they actually are. And uh, and Watson getting shot and lots of drama. Like it was a good it was a good tale. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, I have Sherlock Holmes. I uh, sorry, I have Arthur Conan Doyle's favorite story, uh, the Speckled Band, in my bottom five. Excellent. Okay. Well. On to tier four. I'll go. <clears throat> so just above then, that first collection, volume four of my collected Holmes recommendations. The Glorious Scott from the memoirs of Sherlock Holmes was tied for 24th on my index ranking. Okay. Silver Blaze tied for seventh in my index ranking. Then I've got another from... The Return of Sherlock Holmes, tied for twenty, oh, sorry, tied for twenty fourth rather, is the Empty House. Also tied for twenty fourth place with my index ranking, and twenty fourth on my index ranking, by the way. Uh, just looking at them here now. I say it was tied for twenty fourth. Let me see this. Have I got that wrong? No, I've got it right. Um, 18.5 would be the score tied for 24th is the man with the twisted lip one that you credited earlier and then finally 31st place on my index ranking I'm also saving the final problem because I don't think even for its shortcomings that you can have the empty house without it Uh, true the empty house and the final problem go together and I also think if we're going to be putting the volumes together you can't have them in separate books can you no, you can't. <laughs> so there you go. That's okay. Um, I had a man with a twisted lip in my fourth best. Um, I, I, I loved the later um, World War One or on the eve of World War One saga, uh, the the Last Bow. Just okay. a very just a very cool kind of uh, teaser kind of story um, about Holmes and Watson still doing what they do and protecting you know uh england from you know from the horrors of the, the, the upcoming horror of war that's about to fall over europe i decided i just found it a very sentimental but in a good way and and uh, just a very strong story and, and just kind of like the ageless the agelessness of i guess of sherlock holmes as, as a uh british hero you know like i just found it was just it was perfect it's almost bondian in its own way it was yeah kind of was it, yeah, so I got the last bow there. That's from the that, that's from the, his last bow. The other thing um, that that story had, and it, it isn't, um, it's not one I've discussed yet. But the other thing that that story has, which I think might help give it a Bondian type feel, is that that's one that we're feeling because of its um, because because of its uh, very palpable historical reference, you know, and at the time of its writing. It's Doyle deciding to make Holmes real by bringing in very real elements, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, it grounds him in reality, and mm-hmm. uh, that's a very good point. There's a great verisimilitude to that. I would then throw in the Blue Carbuncle. Um, it's a humorous, great, uh, lovely little story that I think uh, every Sherlock Holmes fan should read. Not one of my favorites, but it should definitely be in the top 25, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, it is one of my favorites, but not one of my favorites of the favorites, <laughs> I, I, I guess I you, you could say. Um, then you have, I, I really enjoyed the, uh, I guess, the early mob connections in the th- Six Napoleons. Uh, yeah. That, that's a really good story. Very original story, too, in my opinion. And then we have, I think, 
just a tale of domestic abuse and violence that really sticked out to me. Uh, very haunting and uh, grim um, kind of murder mystery that Sherlock Holmes doesn't do all the time. And that would be the cardboard box. Mm. Good one. Yeah. So that's my five for the fourth best category. I will say that the cardboard box was one that I really enjoyed when we read it. I found it very difficult to place, though. Really tough to place that one. I, right. I, I, I kind of went by what affected me the most, and I guess that's how I picked yeah. them. Fair enough. So do you want to go on now and talk about your top three, or sorry, your third tier, and then I'll follow you in suit, because you've got a good groove going. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, The Solitary Sykes... Cyclist uh, was an intriguing mystery, and you know you want you want to make and, and uh, there's that added kind of um, ur- ur- urgency uh, to find out what exactly is going on and is this girl in danger. Uh, so and uh, it had a really good resolution as well. So I really enjoyed the solitary cyclist. Uh, we talked earlier about the Gloria Scott, uh, one of my favorite sort of expositions stories, uh, where one of the where Lakey and I guess in the study in Scarlet and the sign of four more particularly the study in study in scarlet the exposition uh scene is the best part of the whole story um and that connects everything together so well this is an example of arthur Conan doyle using the past and using other locales from the past to bring about you know the the denouement of the climax i guess uh, of, of the story uh so we have gloria scott on there um the greek interpreter just the idea of london and foreigners at the time we discussed about that greek interpreter is a great little yarn um then we have Thor Bridge, uh, objectively the best, subjectively uh, maybe, but you probably agree subjectively, or or I guess maybe in terms of a lot of people agreeing, it's probably the best story from the casebook of Sherlock Holmes. Okay. Uh, I have that one there. We just we discussed Thor Bridge and you know already and uh, and all of its uh, um, little moments uh, and, and nuances in there. Uh, then we also have the Silver Blaze. Uh, a very simplistic story in its own way, but a very well-written one. Silver Blaze in, t- in Tier 3 for you, hey? Yeah. Nice one. Okay. Well, I'll go on as I switch the music over to Mendelssohn now. And let's have a chat about Tier 3 for me. I mm. went for, like yourself, previously, The Adventure of the Blue Carbuncle. I just put pushed it up in that mid-tier. I, I really like that story. I think, like oh, you said, it's one of the most enjoyable maybe not the most important or dense or whatever but it's it's very fun to follow and and it's it's great uh is now, the grenada version good of that the adaptation oh it's yeah, it's really nice yeah i should check that one out then the um they, they kind of ham up the christmas elements a little bit if i recall so a, l- a little too dickensian no 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 i just mean maybe you wait for a couple of months till you watch it okay <laughs> um the Dancing Men made my list, and it made my list here, in the middle. Interesting. So, although it was indexed for 44th place in a tie with A Case of Identity, I, I like it enough and reviewed it enough, I think, to to feel like, yeah, this does deserve a place because it's cryptography, it's Holmes doing something different, and yes, I fully appreciate uh, today and when we discussed it what you're saying about the sort of lame mob connections and okay here comes the american coming over and whatnot but i felt like the way holmes implemented the code once he broke it to kind of draw in the perp was interesting i think that there's enough there's enough intrigue there for me to say that i would recommend the story above a great number of other ones so it it seems like the story is written around the set piece of, of, 
of it, though, like the whole idea of the pictograms themselves. It seems like Arthur Conan Doyle came up with the idea of the pictograms, then wrote the story around it. It just kind of just yeah. stands out to me in, in, in a meta sense. Okay. Um, I just wanted to comment on that. No, fair enough. Um, I then went for the five orange pips. Uh, okay, it's a good tale. I didn't have it in my top twenty-five. Uh, just uh, sharing that now, but it's a good t- it's a good tale. One of the things I love about it is its uh, manipulation of environment. We have the storm that begins the story and the storm that symbolically takes the Lone Star out. And so although Holmes loses the client, which is also a mark that makes it very interesting, I think, John Openshaw dies in the story and Holmes should have kept him there and he feels a bit of remorse for that. He does kind of get karma on his side in the storm that brings in the foreshadowing of the the tragedy, kind of takes away the perpetrator, James Calhoun, you know, at the end. So I did like that story. And I should say that's one that the kids really enjoyed too, because they don't know what the KKK is. And that sort of phantom element that, that, that existed then, and it's not just the, you know, redneck yokels that we often see portrayed. And, yeah. You know, it's, it's quite interesting to get into that um, with them. So the four orange pips, the Greek interpreter made my third tier, and so did the dying detective from his last bow. Okay, good, good, good. We had the Greek interpreter in our, in, in our we both had, so in the in the third tier, we both had uh, the Greek interpreter, well no, we had the Greek interpreter, and in the previous tier, I believe you had the blue carbuncle, yeah. Yep. That's right. So moving on then into the second best, I have uh, the barrel coronet. Great okay. investigation, uh, great ending, um, going from like the, the, becoming like a great detective story, all the way to a great action climax as well, um, and the very satisfying climaxes on top of that, um, and the whole relationship between father and son I think was really poignant in that story as well. It was, yeah, and it had a great, I had a great connection in the end to it, and I really enjoyed that. Um, then I had the Devil's Foot that. Uh, atmospheric uh, murder mystery in Cornwall uh, involving, you know, actual fratricide and uh, sororicide as well. Uh, that was something else. Um, case of Identity, uh, Windebanks becoming Hosmer Angel to siphon funds and keep his uh, keep the inheritance of his stepdaughter in check. Yeah, that was that's there just... on yours, was it? Yeah, man, absolutely. Oh, wow, that's really cool because much like me, I remember you not ranking that one particularly highly. I'm just checking here now. And yeah, the uh, case of identity for you was 15 out of 25 and a 16 for me. So isn't mm. it interesting how a story that we both rated is very poor for its use of environments. And and I remember us commenting on how, you know, we're only inside Holmes's, uh rooms, really, and we don't even get very much detail of those things. It's nice to see that we both value the, I guess, the reality or those sort of real life elements and the grossness of it, you know? Yeah. And I think I was kind of hasty with this one and when, when I originally re- reviewed it, but I've come to really, really appreciate it, actually love it, is The Dying Detective. Good. I'm so glad to hear you say that, man. It puts a smile on my face because we did disagree a little bit about that one. We did. We did. I put some I put some thought into it and uh, I considered it. I think it definitely deserves to be in the, 20, in the top 25. It is a simple bluff, and it's the whole thing, right? But there's a real charm that comes with understanding what he's doing. When the buck drops for the reader, whether it's in page 5 or whether it's in page 20 later in the story, once you realize what Holmes is doing, it's the same feeling you get of, you know, it's, it's that same sort of reaction, regardless of how clever you are in catching the clues 
uh, or how you know long it takes you to get them. Like I, I love that moment of uh, understanding. Yeah, absolutely. I then want to add that uh, bittersweet reunion of former lovers in the uh, by the by the end of the Crooked Man. Hmm. Uh, also, a great tale of karma in its own way, too. Well, my friend, I can tell you that there is some similarity here in our second top tier. The Crooked Man and the Devil's Foot have both made my top two tiers, or my, my top second tier. Excellent. Um, Crooked Man was tied for 18th in my ranking, but finds himself here in the top 10, if ostensibly this is what our top two tiers are. The Devil's Foot was tied for third overall in my, in my index ranking, and is here. I have also put in the engineer's thumb here. Oh, I, wow. Yeah, I put in the engineer's thumb because the simple gothic or macabre elements really stood out to me at the time. Um, I think it's one of one of the more interesting um, adventures in terms of motivating incident because much like uh, Kate Whitney rushing in to Mary and John's apartment saying, go find my drugged out husband, please, in, <laughs> in the twisted lip, here you've got Watson bringing Holmes the case. And we don't exactly. see that in a lot of stories. And so I thought for, you know, for the sake of variety and its own environmental elements, this is a neat one to have in there. And Victor Hatherley, as you said, is there. Um, he's, a great, he's a great client. And Lysander Stark... The German was just off my list as great perpetrators. And so what he's trying to do there, you know, lying about drying up the Fuller's earth and actually having the press to do counterfeiting, the fact that they get away. I think there's a lot of really cool stuff here in this story. So that's in my second tier. The illustrious client from the case book made my second tier. Uh, just the whole story, the use of the underworld that Holmes still has at his fingertips, the client, the... Uh, the obviously, as you already said, he's a despicable creature, the Baron, and his collection of women, sort of, you know, and Watson's agency. Lots of reasons there for me to have it in there. It was tied for third in my index ranking overall. And surprisingly, tied for 28th in my index, but second tier for my final ranking, the Bruce Partington plans. Uh, oh. A much... A much improved naval treaty with some really, really neat intrigue. Yeah, there was some good intrigue in that one for for, for sure. I didn't, I didn't have it in my top twenty-five. I'll confess, but it was, it was a good tale. And well, sometimes, and considering the ones that you're mentioning, the ones that I that that you know, you're mentioning ones that I didn't include, and you're and I'm mentioning ones that you didn't mm -hmm. include. It makes you think about your, your your list all the way over again. It does, but I mean, this this is hard, right? It's an arbitrary but fun task that we're doing here. Um, yes. I would like to say, though, Josh, this entire series began on your recommendation. It started with your enthusiasm for the, the Sherlock Holmes uh, figure, culture, what have you. Yes. And so I would like to give you the final tier. So I'll go first with my top Sherlock Holmes stories. These are the stories I would recommend above any other, regardless of index ranking. Here we go. These are the six, or these are the five. The Musgrave Ritual from the Memoirs of Sherlock Holmes. I'm not going to get into these. I'm just going to let readers go explore them. These are the ones I enjoyed the most. Yes. The Six Napoleons, which you mentioned earlier. The okay. Red-Headed League. Yes. From The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Copper Beaches from yes. The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. And The Abbey Grange from The Return of Sherlock Holmes. 
Okay. Those are my top five. Take them for what they're worth. Um, I'm really interested to hear yours. So, you'll have the final word here on Lighten the Pipes in terms of recommendation, at least. What would you say? All right, so... No real explanation behind any of these. As I said to you, you said as you said to me, uh, and to our audience, we say to you, read them yourself and see if you agree with our final five. Um, Musgrave Ritual. Excellent. Engineer's Thumb. Oh, nice. Charles Augustus Milverton. Wow. Redheaded League. Mm-hmm. And the Copper Beaches. I'm so happy. Three of the stories have met. Yeah, I think in the end, when it comes to all the scoring that we've done and discussions that we've done, it shows that we're still we, we have our own little view of things, and, and we have our own little uh, little nuances and what you know what we like a little bit better. But we're still very close, I think, in our feelings towards these stories. I think we are, and and this might prove it or or not. I'm going to ask you now, Josh, if you could choose to, at the count of three, let's both state the story that we would select. To save over all other ones, okay? One, two, three. Copper, Copper beaches. beaches. <laughs> <Boom>. <laughs> we did it. I knew we were going to come down on that foot. The Copper Beaches is probably the best Sherlock Holmes story that you and I saw eye to eye on, at least, huh? Yeah, at 100%. And I'll say now, too, that this, as to the folks that are listening, that was not uh, staged, that no. was improvised 100%. Um, I'll just have a look right now at what we scored that story. It was ranked number one on my list overall. Let's see, going back up here through the category. And, okay, so the Copper Beaches, 22 out of 25 for me, 23.5 for you. So that must have been your, that, that was number one on your Pipes Index as well. So it really wasn't that surprising. If you've been playing the home game over the last 20 months, You'll have been able to maybe even predict that. But no, we certainly didn't uh, rehearse that. Yeah. So there we go. That's oh. that's it. Those are the stories, the recommendations, the canon finished. And really, lighting the pipes is down to its last simmering ashes here. Any closing remarks about Holmes, about the project, about um, how you feel about what we've accomplished or or not? I, I, would, just, I would just like to say before I, I give you the stage that... This has been a ton of fun. It has been a shit ton of work. I've turned it from a reading project that I wasn't sure about into something I was really interested in, into a teaching program of work and, and notes. <laughs> yeah. and so, I didn't go that far, but uh, I'm glad that I was able to, uh, I, I guess, uh, immerse, I guess, I, I, you, I think what happened, you jumped into the deep end willingly, and then you swam back to the surface, and you just swam along all the way through the whole thing. Um, and you didn't want to get out of the pool. Yeah, so, yeah, I guess so. Um, so yeah, I wasn't holding you down, you know. So I'm, I'm glad that uh, this kind of organically de- developed into something really passionate for you. I'm really, I'm really happy about that. It did, yeah. And I've got you to thank for it. Um, however, it's also important, I think, that, that we say that, you know, we are not Sherlockians. We don't propose to be. You know, we have a more lighthearted and enthusiastic way through. I think the stories were, and hopefully that gives you something different too. We have, of course, through the help of Les Klinger and other sources, we have used Sherlockian theory, um, supposition, hypotheses, and criticism to color our conversations. And all of our (laughs) episodes have been informed by that type of detail. But we are our own readers bringing 
just something hopefully that's been fresh and enjoyable to you. But, you know, in terms of these rankings, of course, they're subjective. You don't have to take them, you don't have to take our word for it. But we have done a lot of heavy lifting with these stories. And from a narrative, character, environmental, symbolic point of view, we know these stories pretty well. We've analyzed them. So you can take us at our word that while you might not agree with our 25, they're all good stories. And, yes. you know, you know, we disagreed along the way, but... My final word on it is, yeah, I'm glad that the pipes are simmering down because it's been, you know, it's been enough time now. We've done this enormous thing. We've had this wonderful meal, course after course after course, and now it's time to move on to something new. But you get the last word on lighting the pipes, pal. So over to you. Well, more like lighting the cannon, C-A-N-O-N, than lighting the pipes here. Maybe that should have been the title of our show. <laughs> Yeah, I think the Sherlockians would be happy. I'll stress too that I am not a Sherlockian. I was not, you know, I did not. I was not born, you know, with the with a tattered copy of uh, a Strand magazine in my hand, you know, of like the engineer's thumb. I, I you know, I'm not a Sherlockian in that fashion. The I, I kind of got interested in Sherlock Holmes, to be honest, when I saw the first uh, Guy Ritchie film, which um, I do recommend to a lot of people because the atmosphere of Sherlock Holmes and Victorian London is really well done there. And it's, I, it's the most muted, I guess you could say, of Guy Ritchie's stuff. It's more in, in tune of his snatch kind of uh, lock, sock, smoking barrels. Anyway, um, that's what really got me into Sherlock Holmes was the atmosphere of Victorian London and the characters that dwell in it. And so I then, so then eventually, you know, I, I, I got into it further. I, um, at work, I have access to the Gutenberg Press, which is a free press online. Uh, where I, I could read these short stories, uh, and, and, and you know, in bits and drabs through the, through the years, I got into the Sherlock uh, BBC series. Following that, uh, which started with Promise, I, I'll say, and did not end up the way that I wanted it to. <laughs> I'll also say that. Um, but this really got me to decide to go into this adventure with you and go through every one of these stories, and uh, I got a lot out of it. Uh, they were really, it was very entertaining. Um, it's difficult. At times to be enthusiastic uh, about some of these stories as I would, um, I guess, with more other modern texts, just because the writing is, is very distant and a different style to me than what I'm used to. But I, I grin and bared it, and I, I, I dug as I dug dug deep as I could, and uh, I was able to you know get get all these riches underneath. So I'm I'm very satisfied with the experience. Good. And I want to recommend to all the viewers there who have not read a Sherlock Holmes story, go ahead and do so. Uh, go pick up Hound of the Baskervilles, read it, see what you think about it. If, if you liked that, then I would say if you want to go deeper, pick up a copy of The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. You don't have to get the whole volume. Uh, lots of bookstores just sell The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Pick up that collection because that's your that, – that's, after Hound of the Baskervilles, that's your real kind of uh, – I guess your gateway drug to Sherlock Holmes. Well, that's that's a very good point, I, and I was going to ask you earlier, but it, it slipped my mind, so I'm gr I'm glad you brought that back in. Um, which of these short story volumes, if you were to select one for recommendation, would you select? Oh, I would select the Adventures. I think I would too. You know, at a push, I feel like the memoirs have some really great writing, and that you won't be disappointed reading those either. But I think the Adventures of Sherlock Holmes is the necessary collection, isn't it? It really, really is. Um, you, you get like this, you get Scandal and Bohemia, the Redheaded League, the, the, the Five Pips, um, the Blue Carbuncle. Um, it's everything. I think you get a great smattering of everything, of everything that's great about Holmes in that collection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you really do. 
All right, well, you know, this this has been fun, and I'm, I'm glad it's over, but I'm, you know, bittersweet, right? I think bittersweet is, is what we're... <laughs> It's been it's 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 bittersweet, yeah. I mean, it's all said and done, and it it was a big endeavor, and we got through it all. Um, you know, if you if you listen to these episodes, uh, if you just joined us for some reason now, and you're listening back, you know, in different order, you'll hear us make promises. We're gonna go talk about this later. Maybe we did, maybe we didn't. You know, did you agree with our opinions? Did you like our choice of music? Did you have fun and laugh with us? Did you shout at us because you think we're stupid? Maybe yes to all of these things. But, <laughs> you know, it's just two amateurs working away here with full-time jobs. This this is just, a you know, it's an enthusiast little project for us, not a uh, not an expert's journey. So hopefully you took us for what we were and you you enjoyed reading along with us. And if you are just starting, then... Hope you can enjoy reading along with us. We, we did our series chrono- chronologically to, uh, along with the publication of the stories. And so you can follow that way if you want to go back and start again. If you want to dip in and dip out, you know, we, we structure our episodes and describe them pretty straightforward, I think. So hopefully you found something in this series to enjoy like Josh and I did. It's been a lot of fun doing it together. And uh, yes. it's, not, it's not the end of Bowman and the BFG. We're going to move on and do something new. And uh, we'll be back We'll be back soon. Yeah. And I just want to add to that. Uh, yeah, it has been a great journey. Um, and these stories are, are, are so great and so important uh, because the foundation of everything that, you know, you see today in, in television series, in action films or adventure films, uh, comic books even, that template that you see in all of them is from Sherlock Holmes. And stories and and similar uh, similar types of uh, novels or short stories that were written at the time. So you'll see a lot. I think even though this said, even though this is written in the Victorian times, it's set in the late Victorian slash early Edwardian era. Uh, it feels um, you get a slice of life of culture from that time period and what it was like to live to live in those days and see how even though you know there's a hundred so years. Um, you know, behind us, how similar it is to the world we live in now. And I think that's one of the things that I pulled from it. Absolutely. And hopefully we managed to bring some of that into our shows too, with our, our reviewing or our, you know, jumps, forays into uh, the annotated volumes that we had at our disposal and <laughs> shared with, with listeners. So that was, that's great. All right, pal. Well, look, uh, for me over here in Dumfries, Scotland, that is the end of Lighting the Pipes and a hearty farewell from me. I know it's not the end of our projects together, but it's certainly the end of this one. So thank you for the journey. Thank you for the fun. And um, I know behind the scenes it wasn't always perfect, but hey, you know. <laughs> That's showbiz. And I, none of none of Holmes's cases were. No, definitely not. It, 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 we, yeah, we, we definitely lack, that, I think, that... Um, sharp control and observation of certain circumstances when we when we needed it the most <laughs> let's leave it at that yeah let's just say this that it is bittersweet you know like the pipes the pipe has gone cold but as, as you say we're going to be back you know and there's still fire burning in that uh hearth at, hearth at, ba- at baker street even though the pipes are gone cold there's always something else to look at something else to do something else to explore something else to solve happy reading everybody from from ottawa canada This is Josh, and shout out to you, Scott, and Dumfries, and everyone there, everyone across the world, across this galaxy, across this universe. Adieu. Adieu.